0: men talk ubuntu podcast we're really excited to be here have you join us on this podcast and the conversation we're going to have today our guest this episode is tony thompson an amazing honorable courageous black gentleman of society a father a husband a man of god who continues to wear many professional hats from being a professional teacher horticulturalist national bus operator fictional children's book author and many more he has an amazing story to share with us and when I say amazing I mean the man's story is truly inspirational to all of us encouraging us to to talk and share our feelings and emotion he is living proof that the distance between you and everything you're yet to become is in the amount of action you take in finding yourself Tony, it's a pleasure to have you here. Please, tell us your story and your journey.
1: Right. Uh, uh, Thank you for having me. And uh, basically, uh, I was raised in a children's home. Uh, I spent the first 14 years of my life in a children's home. The first two years was in a private baby's home in Honga, Essex. And it was a private baby's home. And uh, basically it was ran for profit and uh, um, it got raided by the police and the social services. And uh, then I was asked to, well, basically that, there was no choice in those days to, but to put me in a residential children's home all known as an orphanage. And I was there until I was 14 Then I went to live with my mother and uh, stepfather and there I sort of stayed there for a while until I got old enough. I I hadn't really sort of, to be honest, really bonded with my mother or my um, stepfather. It was very difficult years uh, living with them. I was more... I could say I was more happy in the children's home than I was in the living with my mother and stepfather. When I became of age where I could sort of basically look after myself, I went to uh, live with some friends. And it, um, these friends, they were similar age to me, and they were lovely, uh, mother and father were uh, hardworking uh, Jamaicans uh, that came over in the wind rush. Uh, Mr. Mayu, who sadly passed away uh, recently, um, he worked for British Rail and uh, Mrs. Mayhew, uh, his wife, she was a hospital um, auxiliary nurse. And uh, they both worked hard and I went to live with them and their uh, three boys. Uh, well, they've got daughter, older daughters but they've all left the home by then Anyway, i lived with them for about uh, a few years until i got my own sort of council uh, apartment in battersea south london and um there i think that's when i started to discover myself mentally emotionally psychologically and sexually and um Then I realised that I had mental issues, um, you know, in terms of how you think about yourself, what you feel about yourself. Then I started to discover my sexuality, and that was a whole issue because, you know, I was sort of (laughs) brought up in the church, and so I kept a lot of those feelings within, and I, you know, so I, you know, I struggled emotionally, uh, mentally, even though I was still attending church, but I was still struggling. So there was all these different conflicts going on within me, And but it wasn't until I sort of, um, I, then I became became a part of a sort of a, like a self-help group in the sense of, trying to come to terms with who I am. And what, uh, when I say come to terms with who I am, like emotionally, uh, mentally, and I, I suppose I started to get more of a understanding of who I was and why I, the why, why the way I was. And uh, um, I mean, I'm still discovering myself in that sense. I, I, you know, I don't feel that I've got there, and um, it's it's a long journey, isn't it? just that you just have to sort of navigate your way through all a lot of these things. And I eventually, I I, I, I found a church that um, where there was people my own age group. They'd come out of churches where they were very religious and very legalistic, and uh, there was a difference because I think there's a difference between being religious and being spiritual and um, joining this church. I, I met my wife, Kathleen, and I. but I was very open with her. I've said, this is where I'm coming from. And uh, we, we journeyed together in that. And uh, we, um, then uh, we, I was trained to be a teacher then, and uh, that was uh, quite uh, difficult because I was bus driving as well, and that's how I got my license, because I was trying to supplement my income being a full-time older student, as they call a mature student, and we eventually we got married, um, uh, we settled in Croydon, but I got a my first job was in grays uh, essex and uh, uh, as an nqt i was but anyway i was commuting from croydon to grays until eventually we got too much that so we eventually moved to grays we got uh, a house and um, i taught in grays for about 3 years and then i got a job as a a teacher of a PRU, I don't know if you've heard of them, like pupil referral units for children that have got emotional behavioural problems. And I enjoyed that because I, you know, it's, I, I suppose I could, uh, I knew where they were coming from because I came from a similar sort of, you know, um, sort of disturbed background, as you could say. And um, then we, we moved from Grays to Chelmsford and I was still working Greys, and then I managed to get another job in Chelmsford. So that's it. That's it in a nutshell, but um, there's a lot in between, you know, because um, you know, I had, you know, obviously I've had my ups and downs in terms of uh, uh, my marriage and uh, but you know, we've 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 persevered and we struggled through, and and uh, and I, I I just feel that um, you know you just have to perseverance is quite a uh, um, I don't know how you can put it. It's a uh, you have to really I, I suppose. With the help of, with God, you know, um, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not saying that in a, you know, in a religious sense, but in a spiritual sense, um, that it, that, that helped me. And yes, I've seen therapists in the past, uh, psychotherapists and, and, and I think that's really helped, that has really helped me come into terms with who I am, But like, um, uh there have been if I reflect back to my childhood um, and back in the children's home that was I was fortunate that I had some lovely people and particularly one lady who just um, she's always been there for me and I, I regard. I regard her as my mother, really, because she um, she's always been there for me. Her name's uh, Jill Snowlin, and she lives in Ipswich. And my boys now call her Grandma. Well, they call her Grandma Ipswich because she lives in Ipswich. And uh, <laughs> um, she's just been a real good, solid rock behind me. I, I mean, because my relationship with my biological mother has always been up and down. Uh, my, my mother, my biological mother, is very, uh, very religious to the sense that to, that she was almost embarrassed by me because when she came over from Jamaica, she she was only eighteen, she was pregnant, and she wasn't married. And in those days, it was all you know looked upon. So she was influenced. Very heavily by her mother and her sister who were living over here in the UK they came over first and um, they sort of had a very strong influence on her because they're very religious as well and uh, told her to you know put the put the child away you know because you know it's you know As the as the Italians would say, you bring shame upon the family, you know. But um, it was something that um, it's something that I've I've also struggled with, you know, with you know rejection. Rejection is a very um, feeling rejection and struggling with rejection. I think is one of our biggest, um, you know. One of our biggest things that I think even as black men we struggle with rejection in terms of uh, you know um, like I was it's funny I was looking at something the other day and um, this guy said is does my existence is my existence a an issue to you and I thought and I start, I, I use that as a, a, a as a chapter in, in the, a book that I'm writing now is, um, you know, c- and that opens up such a big can of worms in terms of, of, you know, how we feel about ourselves, how other people see us, how we see ourselves, you know, there's just, there's just so much, you know, um, but feel free to ask me anything.
0: Uh, um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You just lit, really captivated us with um, a lot of your story and your journey. Thank you very much, Tony. And that goes beautifully into our topic for today. And uh, t- so today, Men Talk. Uh, what we're talking about is owning your story. But first, on a scale of one to ten, Tony, where are you mentally... Um, and why
1: on a scale of one to 10, I'd say, um, uh, six because, um, uh, I suppose this pandemic hasn't helped in a sense, um, you, cause you do it, it makes you, um, look at yourself a lot more and especially. Right. I, yes, I live with my family, and I live with my wife and my son because my eldest son is in uh, at university. Um, you still have issues to deal with in terms of loneliness, um, uh, significance, because um, this pandemic sort of brought on the issue, like because like I'm furloughed at the moment. And you start to feel, well, am I really significant? And, it, it's, it's, and and then because, you know, you're so used to going out to work. And then I, I, it's made me also feel about people. What about the people that are in a one-bedroom flat and you've got three kids or, you know. Um, so that the question you asked, Ray, a really good question is... Multifaceted, really, because there's just so many other issues in terms of. I'm I'm still dealing with the issue with my mum in terms of. How, you know, my biological mum. Uh, you know, I'm, i think that's going to be a continuous thing until I, I probably. Uh, I'm in my grave is. Uh, is rejection and especially rejection from your parents I think that is a uh, that is an issue that I mean a, a, I think a lot of people deal with and particularly black men uh, especially rejection from their father and even though I never had a father um, and and that rejection can come in all sorts of forms, whether you're just emotionally ignored, or because your father could be present but still ignore you in terms of not connecting with you. And he, you know, when I say connecting with you emotionally and mentally, and you know, there's just, it's, I suppose, <laughs> in a way, it's, it, 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 Sort of opens up quite a can of worms in the sense of um, where we are mentally. And, and then also what's recently been happening with, you know, the Black Lives Matter, you know, that it's, I think, and how we are perceived, because every day you're, even when I go out and I'm just at the shops, the way people look at you, the way um, and they still see us as a, as a threat Uh, they still see you the color of your skin Um, i suppose in in some sense that sort of made me you know angry Um, there's just so much that um you have to contend with you know and uh, yeah so oh uh, don't get me started on uh Yes, I I just feel a lot of the time we're just racially profiled, and and it's just, and that can affect have an effect on you mentally and emotionally because you just you, it can make you feel insignificant. It can make you feel there's just so many effects it can have on you, and then you're, you're also dealing with your own personal feelings of, you know, your your own emotional make up your own sexual makeup. So you've got all these things going in your head that you're contending with that is just, um, uh, I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's just,
2: um, you know, I think you certainly are Tony. And uh, I, I think like Ray said before, it's just captivating to really hear you speak about all of these different things and the way you're sharing some of the ideas with what's going on right now, I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing it and it's no point in saying it's seasons. Like we're always in this period of transition for most of us. And I'm really intrigued by potentially the the way you've spoken about some of this idea about rejection and searching for purpose and meaning. There's two things I'd like to try and do. Uh, one thing is also, uh, Well, A, I can see why you you say you're at a six. Because initially when you said you're at a six, I was a little concerned, but I can understand why now that you've given a bit more context to it. I'd be curious, maybe to use the journey you described as uh, maybe a, a layout for our discussion. So if you were to go back to that younger you who was feeling... I don't know how you felt initially when you were in the children's home and how you felt once you're being forced from the children's home to live with your biological parents and to feel like you were happier in the children's home. I don't know what, on a scale of one to 10, where that young man would have placed himself mentally. And I ask that because there are probably a lot of young men right now who might be facing that, or has the mm-hmm. summer of 2021 will come to pass, they're going to be in that phase of transition of, you mentioned you've shamed the family. <laughs> Some of them, it might be to do with their grades. Some of them, it might be to do with the choices that they've got coming next. And just a lot of us as well has perhaps lockdown eases off. And we're now starting to think what we really want to do, because like you said, there's been a lot of introspection. We've had a lot of time to think yeah more time than we would like, perhaps. And we might be struggling with, now the world is opening back up and now I have to deal with whether I want to continue with the way things were or whether I'm going to make a change. So the first thing is, of course, where on a scale of one to 10 would you say that that young man was? And thinking back to that time, is there any advice that you would have wanted to give that young man?
1: Yeah, I would... The first thing on a scale of one to ten, I suppose I'd, I'd have I would have been a nine because I was in a, a secure institutional environment. But I was fortunate to have um, good people that um, that who worked in the orphanage that were were really um, good were really good people were out for my interest and. Um, so in that sense, I, and the advice I would try to give him is if I was to be talking to my younger self was to try and be more secure and not to, I was very needy at that age and, but I was, and that neediness was, was obviously bad because of, you know, you know, the rejection that I felt from my mother, even though I suppose at that age I wasn't aware of it um, because I was I was uh, that was the world I I knew and that was the world I was secure in. Uh, But um, as when I went to live with my uh, my biological mother and my, you know, my stepfather, and that was just such a transition, and it was it was a culture shock because uh, I was predominantly brought up in a white environment, with uh, uh, the people that were raising me were were white, and so they wouldn't have, and in those days didn't know how to relate. They had no knowledge of black people or of, of their food, their culture, how we feel, and how we think. So I, I was in, in one sense, so I thought like a, a, a white person and it was not until I went, so the, the positive side of it was when, when I went to live with my mother, um, I realized that I'm black, you know, and even though I had to get used to the food and, and I went to a black school, Tulsa School, which was quite, that was right, in Brixton so most of the kids that went to the um, school were, were black and uh, it was just so that culture shock coming to face to, with my own culture so I had that to deal with but then going back at the home to answer your question Shai was that um, I just needed to be secure and even though I was in a secure environment I I was still very insecure and very needy because I wasn't being nurtured by you know my real mother and well I don't know of my father my mother's told me stories about my father and she said that one minute she said she was love with him and now she's trying to say that she was raped by him so that's caused that's caused another issue but uh, you know um I, i know my my answer might seem muddled but if i was to talk to a another young man who's in a home or who's being cared for by foster carers um i'd want him to try and get in touch with himself in terms of not to reject therapy, not to reject um, anything where t- try and get a, a role model or someone who could who you could look up to, particularly a a black male role model who's gonna give him a good positive masculine affirmation. Um, that, There'd be there'd be so much that I would want to, you know, like nurture to him, so that he doesn't sort of go down the path of, you know, criminality or anything which where he feels that he's going to get attention, love, and because a, a lot a lot of the young black guys now they're, they're getting into the um, and I'm not not, not saying no, because because um, I, I think the media exaggerates it, but a lot of them are into the gang life because that's their family. That's them, you know, who they relate to and who they can connect with. And, uh, you know, that's what, why I feel a lot of them, are, because a lot of them, you'll find a lot of them, are, you know, they don't have a a good positive male role model in their lives. A lot of them are brought up by single women who are struggling and trying to you know uh, you know just trying to find a way of bringing them up the best way they know, and it, it's just it becomes a vicious circle so um yeah, it's that's a, a real deep question and I don't know if I can answer it fully, but I think that's the advice I would give, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if I've answered that shy, but um,
0: yeah. Amazing, amazing. I mean, like everything you're saying and how you're explaining it, even even what you just said, how, you know, multidimensional your experience has been the transition you've gone through. Um, and I, one thing I, I, I want to try and kind of hone in on is your transition from going from that nine space when you're in that home to mm-hmm. you being with you know your biological mother and more importantly what that experience was like you know if if we can just get a bit more understanding of what the whole context of you know how your feeling was the you know the relationships that was in that household because again that that wasn't just a house it was it also became your new home now and that also brought a lot of different struggle from, again, you've got the culture, cu- the, the, the culture struggles, you've got the emotional safety, you've also got the um, the relationship you have with your mother and not having that affection and love that, you know, you're most probably not aware of at that age, but it's, you know, at the same time, you can feel something's not right, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, I, I, I can look back to that clearly actually i remember when uh, the social because i had a social worker because each child in the orphanage was assigned a social work and the social served um, so at that time felt it's time for me to go and live with my mother i had been going on on the odd weekend uh From because I was living in Woodford Bridge, that's where the orphanage was, and I was going at from the age of 12, I was traveling from East on the outskirts of East London to South London to um, uh, spend the weekends with my mum and my stepfather. And after a couple of years of doing that, and it wasn't every weekend, it was sort of like every other weekend. And, you know, anyway, to make a long story short, when I got to the age of 14, uh, they felt that it was time for me to, um, they felt it was the right time for me to go and live with my mother and uh, stepfather, because there was no, there wasn't a reason for me to stay in the home anymore. Cause they felt, I suppose that they were, was using it as a familiarity sort of, um, you know, it was one of their methods of trying to get children back into their family unit. So, and the couple that were looking after me in the children's that retired, but the lady that, um, had been constantly in my life, uh, Jill Snowden, she, had moved to Ipswich so when I eventually did move into my home with my my mother um, at first it was it was really I I couldn't sleep Uh, I would rock myself to sleep because um, I was really mentally emotionally disturbed to the point where it it concerned my stepfather which was surprising because he didn't really show any sort of um affection or love to me even you know my mother was because of her strict religious ways I think she was more concerned about image rather than nurturing this disturbed 14 year old boy. And so um, uh, I was told to change my name because my name on my birth certificate was Leroy Anthony Johnson Gale. And um, when I went to live with my mother, I was I, I was always known as Tony anyway because they they'd always um, uh, they I was always known by my middle name and even though my mother called me Anthony, but a lot all my friends and people who I got to know just called me Tony because you know they short the name. Anyway, um, so when I eventually was living there. It was, I was always trying to get my mother's approval and always doing things and, cause I, I was scared of her in the sense because I, I didn't know her and I just saw her as this sort of authoritative, cause she, 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 she comes across as very authoritative, very sort of uh, not maternal. And so I was always afraid of her and, My stepfather was always on my back about things which bugged him and, you know, like as soon as I got up in the morning, you know, have you washed out your mould? You know, that's the first thing you'd ask me rather than, oh, how are you? Did you sleep well? You know, first thing you'd ask me is, have you washed out your mould? And, you know, because he was, so he was like, you could say the typical stereotypical black man that. Doesn't know how to relate to the kids. <laughs> I think
0: that's a that, that's a common thing with the older generation. <laughs> or yeah. Was.
1: yeah, that that sort of generation, you know. And you just, uh, you know, I remember. Sometimes I was about sixteen once, and I said to, and I used I, at that time, I called him dad, and I said, Dad, do you love me? You know, what are you talking about? You know, just wash the dishes, man. You know, and you know don't talk to me about this foolishness, you know, and it was, you know, so it wasn't, there was no sort of, like, because I say to my kids, no, you know, I love you, son, I love you, Josh, to the point where Josh said, "Well, you know, why are you saying that? I know you love me, you know, (laughs) and and I'm not afraid to hug him or kiss him. And and the same with Daniel, you know, Um, but yeah, so it was just that, it was just I couldn't be myself. And I just felt estranged with my mother, estranged with my stepmother, and it was. But I was I felt fortunately, I, I, I you know, I, I, I started to make friends in church, and it's with that family who I went who I eventually went to live with, who were. Yeah, they were old school, but they were new school in the sense that, you know, um, Mr. and Mrs. Mayor, they were very, they they broke the mold in that sense, you know, you could go and talk to them, you could, you you know, you could go and hug them, you could kiss them, you know, you know, it was, and yet they were old school in the terms of like discipline, you know, you know. There's some things you wouldn't dare say to Mrs. May because she was the disciplinarian, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she would chase you around the room with a broom if you, you dare back her, you know. <laughs> it was that sort. Of, but um yeah, she was a loving woman, you know. And uh but going back to that sort of the culture shock living with um my, you know, my mother and my stepfather, yeah, it was very difficult, very difficult. And it, and it, and I, I, I could say that I was very unhappy,
2: yeah.
1: yeah I don't know if that's answered answer to the question. <laughs> yeah.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, wow. <laughs> Just wow, man. <laughs> yeah. I, there's so much there that I feel like, firstly, it's just to say I'm really proud of you and how far you've come and how you've, you spoke about perseverance earlier on, and that's something that is coming through. I suppose when life keeps making you feel like you have to keep persevering, you might not appreciate how much you've persevered through because it's sort of ongoing, but there is so much there and even that contrast of being able to see that currently with all you have with the loving family, with how far you've progressed and all these things, you feel like you're at a six and when you look back, then you'd say that young man was at a nine and it is to some extent that resilience that young people have, resiliency that young people have and the that different outlook. It's almost like life keeps beating us up for so long. <laughs> the number is usually going to go down. Um, this the the friend you say you moved in with Mr. And Mrs. Mayu 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 with was that you said through a friend initially Yeah,
1: well, because uh, Andrew Mayu, who's so I could class him as my my best friend now, yeah, and um, he's married. Um, his mother, well, I, I call her our mother really. <laughs> she, Mrs. May, she died um, in October eight years ago. Yeah, it was eight years ago. Yeah, and then Sorry. Mr. May died a uh, couple of months ago. Uh, he was ninety-four. Mrs. May was in the eighties when she died. Um, but it's that generation that's gone now. So yeah, went to live with them and uh, just. Because Andrew's around my age group, so is Carlton. Who um, oh, it's funny because when I, I, Carlton is the same age as me, and we we were more friends. But Carlton lives in America now. He lives in uh, California with his wife, and he's got three boys. And uh, they've got an older brother, Tony, Tony Mayhew, and um, two older sisters, Sadie and Ica. But yeah, but they were a good, they're, they're a good, strong family. But like all families, we, you know, you have your issues and your ups yeah.
2: and your downs. But, um, yeah. I'm just, I'm wondering what the conversation was like as well. Because if you're currently, say at the time, with your mother and her and father-in-law, or stepfather, sorry, and you then have a conversation with your friend Andrew, and now you're going to move into... Their home for a period before you sort of start moving on to the next phase of your life. It's what what was the kind of conversation like? I don't know with with your mom or with with the Mayhews. Like when you turn up, hey, um, can I crash for a while? Like, <laughs> I, yeah. how yeah, does that go? Yeah. yeah,
1: um, I remember the day it was in the summer. I was in my early late teens early to, well I was in my 20s and um I it got to a point where I wasn't I was getting too big to be beaten you know cuz my stepfather would, you know he could <laughs> and cuz he knows that I would have all that repressed anger <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: ready to unleash <laughs> yeah we, we know when we sense danger <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. so um, and i just remember saying to my mother that i'm i'm gonna go and live with the baby um, i know it upset her but there was she knew there was nothing that she could say or, or do that would um stop and I remember going that afternoon to Mrs Mayu and saying is it all right if I stay here for a while and she was happy because she she treated me like her one of her own and she she was happy but she said well I have to ask I have to ask she called him Carpi that was his nickname I have to ask Carpy and then I'll let you know you know, and and, and um, so that evening I came. And she said, "Well, Mr. Mayor you said it's all right." Um, and she said, "This is, you know, this, these are the rules of the house, blah blah blah." But I'd already sort of really knew because I was spending a lot of time there anyway. And uh, yeah, and I just uh, got my stuff and. Uh, I didn't have much stuff. It was just clothes and a uh, few belongings. And then I, um, then, um, yeah, moved, moved in with the May it, it was just, and I was, I just, where was, a, I, I wasn't working at the time. I, I was, I was unemployed, but, um, and it was, just, uh, but I had a, a little part-time job. So at, um, Sainsbury's and, uh, because at that time I was thinking of becoming a, a youth worker and uh, I was doing an access course but um, that didn't that fell through but um, but I was trying to sort of figure out where am I gonna go in life what what am I going to do you know and how am I going to what is really my? I suppose you could call it a calling or in terms of jobs and things like that. So but I suppose with the mayors it was more I think if looking back on it now, they gave me a sort of a good mental and emotional bedrock, you know, as to where where I'm gonna where I'm gonna go in life. And I think that's a very important. Wherever you are, whoever you are, you just need to try and get that emotional, mental, and even spiritual bedrock and try and discover who you are and where you are and where you want to go. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's beautiful. I, I feel like. That, that's definitely what comes next right now. I think you, you talk us through some of those mental, emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual, we go through that. And I think before I hand over to you to carry on or <laughs> to jump in there, what's also I think come to mind for me is this wow. idea of for someone listening, they might need to have a conversation with their child or with the person who's in the house with some of the things you've described, like not being able to fall asleep. And it takes even your stepfather who wasn't the most connected to you seeing that it feels like that's definitely something to consider. Just because someone's in the home, and it's your roof, your rules, we've got the cliche of you, you're not their friend, you're their parent and everything. Sometimes, yes, you can, that way could work. But there might need to be a conversation that just needs to be had with, are you okay? How did you sleep? I think that was such a powerful, simple thing there. Like you talked about being a needy kid, but it's like, it's not, it's not really. It's like, I wake up, I just want someone to ask me if I'm okay. Not just, have you washed your mouth out? You know, like just, am I okay? It's. But you can see how someone can become needy because you're not getting any of this. So it's. firstly, it's just that. I feel like, yeah, for someone listening, either you need to let somebody in the house know that we should have a conversation or hopefully this is a parent listening as well. And maybe it's time to just have a quick conversation, a quick check, if everyone's okay. Or even if you're not a parent, just ask the other person in the house how they're doing. Um, So I thought that was really, really important, really key. And the second thing I think that was really just phenomenal for me is Often our communities, like you hinted at earlier as well, are painted in one way, in a very negative way. And here we have this just lovely example of compassion, of caring, of embracing someone and treating them like your own. This this it goes to the core. A lot of our guests have said it, where we just we take each other like family, like you've been there so often, and they just go, they open their home to you and you're there. For a couple of years you're sorting yourself out it gave you this space like that's not spoken about as much when it comes to our community so i thank you especially for just highlighting that that happens it wasn't adoption papers were signed it was just come through and this is your home and it yeah. goes to that thing when they call you son like they mean son and when you say this was now grandma ipswich this was really grandma ipswich you know yeah
1: yeah
2: you're right. uh, it's yeah so that was amazing and yeah so i i just i wanted to highlight those because they really stood out for me and it's brought us to a beautiful place where you can now talk about the psychological mental spiritual emotional growth and exploration that came after but yeah sorry I'll just, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was just i was just gonna um
0: add that you know i think you uh even though you've gone through a lot of struggle, a lot of different homes, and essentially an emotional roller coaster, um, like Mm -hmm. no other. Um, And like what Shai said previously, you know, proud and do commend you of how you're owning your story. And it's just so powerful to hear. And it brings so much joy hearing your story. And I also want to take this opportunity to, you know, thank the, the Mayhews for opening their arms to you and being that family that you you most probably didn't even realise, but it's what you needed. It was your home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, th- I think even, you know, the other day when we actually spoke on the phone, how um, the, even though it was the first time we spoke on the phone, it was like we knew each other for a long time. We were so yeah, relaxed yeah. and open, we had that connection and it kind of comes back to the the whole community as as, as black people, we, we're so divided and that's because of, you know, all sorts of issues and stigmas and mental problems that we all have that are also associated with, you know, cultures, religion and that's most probably why you're mother and your stepfather were they were they they were that way for instance that kind of generation especially the men it was also seen that men had to be they had to have this masculinity you don't show your feelings whatsoever you're a man and
1: um (laughs) masculinity
0: definitely definitely and and without even realizing um that whole masculinity stems from When we're as soon as we're born, like, and I use this example in a lot of conversations I have with a lot of people, and I say that um, if you have a girl and a boy both the same age, let's say for instance they're toddlers, they fall down, they hurt themselves really badly. Mm -hmm. To the girl, you're gonna say, It's okay, cry, show your emotions. Yeah. To the boy, you're gonna say, Come on, big boys don't cry, man up, man up. So without even realizing in in society is that we're programming the boys to not be expressive in in their feelings and their emotions without even realizing what the long term impact and effect is going to be in the future yeah. and then it kind of you know you fast forward to when you're a man and you realize wait something's not wrong i've been All these things I've been feeling have been erupting or it's been I've been brushing it under the carpet and tripping over it over and over again but now it's time to kind of lift up the carpet pick up the pieces make sense of it and you know the first stage is identifying it embracing it and you know owning it as I said previously and like Going to back to what you said about um, this transition of where we've come to now, in your teenage teenage years, you had the ability to find your um, who you was, your identity, your mental health. You started to identify these things. So essentially, even though you were tripping over the carpet, you managed to you know, lift up the carpet and find all these different pieces to find out who you are and build who you are essentially and I think the the strongest people are the people that win battles that um no one knows about just like you know the the, the battle the different battles that you've been through so I'm essentially I'm, I'm I'm really intrigued to kind of find out how how you more or less kind of found your or put you those pieces all together and how you found everything in, in terms of your identity in terms of your mental health um, as you mentioned previously your sexuality and you know all, all of that really
1: yeah um that's a really good question very deep question and um one of the things that, that i've started to really, um, in my sort of like mid-twenties, I started to become interested in uh, counselling, well, being counselled and psychotherapy. And um, it was through a sort of like a a self-help group. It was sort of like a men's group that I started to explore. And then um, I came across a psychotherapist because uh, myself and Andrew May, we used to, when I eventually moved out from the Mayors and I got my own um, uh, got my own apartment, we, we used to ring each other every morning and just to see how each other is and connect with each other. And um, one of the questions that Andrew asked me said, Have you ever thought seeing a counsellor? psychotherapist and I I, it never dawned on me you know and so I thought yeah why not and uh, I looked up uh, in a one a magazine because in most days you didn't have Google (laughs) because Google came out in the late well mid-90s didn't it and so I looked up in a it was a GQ magazine, actually, you know, Gentleman's Quarterly, you know, that glossy magazine, and I looked through it at the back. And there was a psychotherapist, and I um, went along uh, to him. And yes, he he really sort of started to open up my eyes, and so and this other group that I was going to opened up my eyes in terms of self discovery and who, why I was reacting to certain things, why I was, cause I used to be, I used to have a real sort of hatred towards women. And I was a real, I could say deep down, You, on the surface you wouldn't sit, sit, see, see that, but because of the rejection I felt from the mother, and you know, cause they say babies feel that rejection even in the womb, if, if it's not, if it's not wanted, it will feel that rejection. And so I used to um, project that rejection onto women uh, even before, sometimes even before I met them. So I was very sort of antagonistic towards women because I just felt let down by women because I was let down by the most important woman in my life, which was my mother. So going back to what uh, you were saying is that um, not sh- shying away from going to see a counselor or, 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 um, and that sort of like opened up opened up a lot of things for me and that's where I've, so I've always been interested in self-discovery in that sense because, um, and I know it leaves you vulnerable, but I think sometimes that vulnerability, you need that because it just, um, I think it helps you move further on. Because if, 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 if you don't, if you're not vulnerable, if you're not um, if you're not open to um, someone trying to piece these jigsaw jigsaws together for you, not that they are, they're trying to direct you and let you think about it. I think um, you become immobile, and then you. You get so set in your own ways, and I think you just have to be sort of open to open to talk, open to um, uh, having someone. You know, just it's 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 being open to having. How can you put it? Uh, open to open to talking, you know, and sharing your your deep down emotional and mental feelings of how you, you feel about about people, about how you've been treated, and how you perceive things. There's just, just so much really, isn't it? It's just, you know, it's it's not um, you can't, uh, you know, as you navigate through life, and like even with me coming across mentor Ubuntu, it's, it's, I think it's so useful in the sense that you can, you finally find someone who you can identify you and right, we've all got different stories and we've all got different, um, but there's a similarity in the sense that we need to identify with each other and just relate with each other and uh, and just like, uh, well, yeah, I've been feeling like, like I think it was, um, well, both of you, Ray and Shy, you both said that um, uh, you know, that the traditional sort of black masculine, masculine image of, you know, we don't cry and we don't share our feelings and we, you know, you know, that, that kind of foolishness, you know, you know, you know, you know how, especially the older generation, the way they react to that sort of thing. But when really deep down you're crying out for identity, you're crying out for someone to empathize with, you know. So um so when I was in my twenties, yeah, I that's I I I was open to you know counseling and being well being counseled to and um, because I just wanted to know why I was being the way I was being. <laughs> yeah. So yeah.
2: Powerful I think. It's a it's a key message when we hit those points, uh, which we don't we genuinely go I don't have the answers and the way I've been doing things just hasn't been working. It's yeah. at that point when we're willing and ready to reach out that I think the such services become invaluable to us and yeah. the way that you've expressed the idea as being perhaps as being a jigsaw piece, which life kind of does feel like that. (laughs) You only find some of the pieces and then they make sense as you're going along, but you don't know of this initially what it's all going to look like. So it's quite a challenging piece or puzzle to put together. And the way I could see it was as you were speaking to the counselor and just navigating your way through life, you were finding all of these different pieces And I'm curious to hear which pieces you'd perhaps thrown away that came back out during those sessions or which pieces as you were talking came out and started to form a part of your life there there onwards.
1: Um, That's a good question. Because when I I, um, first met Kathleen, and it's funny, we were talking about it this morning myself, Catholic. Um, uh, she said, do you believe in conversion therapy? And I'll be honest, I don't. And um, uh, I believe in discovering yourself and who you are. But and I also believe in uh, that psychologically and emotionally, um, uh, what has happened in our childhood has um, uh, made us what we are today. And yeah, and then in terms of you know the, the way we react to things, but, um, going back to answer your question directly. Um, When I um, first met Kathleen, before I um, met her, um, I was exploring my sexuality and I was, I was going to clubs, I was going to, um, I was going to areas where you shouldn't. Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but you know, to I was basically I was exploring my sexuality, and that became quite promiscuous in the sense of um, getting involved in a lot of um, sexual activity. But the turning point came was when I was working for a company called Securicor then as it was known then, and I was delivering. And every now and then I used to go into, there's a church at the top of um, Regent Street, and it's called All Souls Church. And you could go in there and just sit there and think, meditate. Anyway, I don't wanna go down that road. um, And when Kathleen and I first started sort of seeing each other, I gave her a book. And it was a a book which it was um, basically it was about um, coming out of that sort of lifestyle as a person, you know, you know, um, and trying to come in in touch with who you are and what and sometimes I I, as I said earlier. I believe that there are reasons why we become who we are because of our our childhood. Anyway, to make a long story short, and I gave her that book, and she read it, and she went to a friend, and she just cried because uh, she thought, "What am I getting into?" You know. What? <laughs> and anyway, we, we we've navigated. We've had we've had our ups and downs and we've had our struggles but um, uh, I think with God's help we've really we've persevered we've persevered through and yes it doesn't mean that those feelings just go away And but I think sometimes it gets to a point where you have to sort of manage those feelings, not deny them, but manage them. And um, and, and I think managing your feelings and denying your feelings are two different things. And um, so, yeah, so that's um, and I th- and I think there are some particularly black guys that are out there that who are struggling. Who are struggling, struggling mentally, emotionally, and if they, you know, and a lot of the, a, a lot of guys, particularly black guys, they end up taking their own life because they don't want to, um, they don't want to deal with that, and they, and because of, you know the shame, the embarrassment, Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that could, that could, um, what they're, they're going through. And I just want them to feel that, you know, it's okay to just obviously share in a safe environment and, um, you know, it's okay to have those feelings, but it's, and, um, I, I just don't want other people to go through that emotional and mental and, and sexual struggle without, and and then keeping it to themselves and not knowing where to go to or who to look to, and then eventually doing something, you know, that could be critical to themselves and to their family and friends, you know, you know, because a, a lot of people ended their lives because they can not live with it and and it's not just a sexual thing but you know it can be a mental thing it can be emotional you know so yeah um i hope i (laughs) covered that
0: amazing amazing um yeah everything you're saying is just you know so insightful and really appreciate I'm sometimes even lost for words of where to where to kind of go next or what to ask you but um what I would want to kind of ask you is it's is, is a little bit multi multi-loaded should we say um one it's something you touched on previously when you reached out to you know the the therapist things like that because again there's still a high number of black you know not just boys but men that are afraid to reach out to therapists things like that and actually communicate because again as as men we don't know how to communicate or speak or even break that mold whatsoever and if you attach it to what happened in as you said previously things that happened in your adolescent years you know um, reflect into your older years
2: yeah
0: um and even going back into that thing i said previously of you know men don't cry it's also the thing of um because you don't know how to express yourself you pretty much divert your expression in different ways um whether it's anger whether it's um all sorts of different ways, whether it's being cold or stubborn or, and it's negative, and it, you identify with it and you kind of say that's you. But the fact that you you had an encouraging friend to say, reach out to a therapist, I would really want to, and I think it's important for the audience to kind of know what that looked like. One, from a race perspective of what color the, the therapist, was because at the same time, um as much as you know race is an important it also is because I feel that again and I could be wrong that I think it's imperative when you get to a therapist to also ask questions. Um because bear in mind with therapists, they're one, they're there to help and consult you. And two, if you feel or they feel they're not right and they've got a, a different person they can direct you to who you can you know be yourself your true authentic self and bring yourself out for you to unlock and piece all these things together um i want to understand if you asked any questions of or if they understood your culture your experience because again you you've also experienced being in an environment of you know being raised around um, white people going back into black the culture change um, so I think it's important for therapists to kind of understand these kind of basic things mm-hmm. um, so that's the that, that's the first part um, before I go into the to the next part so all
1: right um, so to, to answer that in those days um, therapy was still sort of quite new uh, psychotherapy and um i'm sort of like talking about the 80s 90s and even though therapy's been around for quite a while but um and most of psychotherapists in, in in that time were, were white middle class and so i would nowadays i would ask for the if there was a, a any sort of young person, particularly a young black person, that wanted to reach out to a, a sort of a therapist, I would say that, uh, it'd be best to look to someone who's um, who comes from a sort of a similar background and and culture, you know. Like, like, and I'm not trying to bring a racial divide, but I just think. They would be more suited in terms of identity and empathy, and would un- have a deeper understanding. And it, I mean, there's an organisation at the moment called the It's B A A T N, which is uh, not sure what uh, the actual uh, letters stand for, but it's mainly it's a, a, a psychotherapy organisation that is for black ethnic minorities, you know, and um, they have, you know, they can direct you to therapists who are of, of um, black origin, you know, and who would be able to identify more and understand more. So in those days, when I reached out to a psychotherapist, it, you know, there wasn't, well, maybe I wasn't aware of any sort of um, black psychotherapist in those days. But um, from what I know historically, you know, there weren't many in, because it was still frowned upon and um, especially by the sort of black communities And and I think that was d- due to a, a religious cultural um background because um, a lot of a lot of the black churches then frowned upon psychotherapy and psychology because you know i think they came from the mentality well all you have to do is pray and it will go away you know but you know it's not that sort of thing you know and you know you they'd lay hands on you and know and that's it but whereas now i think um there's one guy that he started a don't know his name but he's he's called the Mind camp he's on he's on instagram and and he's a a black pastor who started a sort of a um he started sorry my my wife's saying the time (laughs) Um, because i um yeah, and he started a an organisation called the Mind Cap, where it's um, he's, he does psychotherapy and and art, and he's based in King's Cross. And um, I mean, you could I'll send his sort of uh, details on, on to you guys. And he's um he's really sort of opened up opened up the what you could say that the canyon of psychotherapy for the uh, for, for black people. But yeah, so um, hi- historically, it, it was the domain of the white middle class, whereas now the new generation of sort of, of, of um, black people are moving more to for psychotherapy and counseling. So, yeah. I don't know
2: if I've answered that question. I think as with all the questions you've hit it out the park, you've been definitely answering them very thoroughly. Um, As you mentioned there, the new generation, and I know we'll have to wrap up, so maybe this will be the final sort of question before we go into the the fixed final ones, surprise ones that we always ask every guest. As As you mentioned the new generation, I know we spoke before about, some of what you're doing um to help the next generation and possibly future generations in your own way to be able to speak more and could you maybe share with us how you came about with your idea for the book and what maybe you're hoping your book will do for the next generation that's younger or older but overall for the next Um,
1: generations basically um could I just, I need to go to the toilet. Could you- oh, yeah. yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Is that right if I just go now and then you could...
2: Go, go, go. We'll, we'll, do a, we'll do like a summary of what we've heard so far.
1: Give me one, give me one minute.
2: Of course. Sure. <laughs> so I guess we can do a bit of a summary of what we're thinking so far. I mean, like anyone listening will know, there's been a heck of a lot of ground covered today and it is it's amazing amazing stuff at the core of it probably goes with why we titled this episode owning your story because there's multiple stories tony could have told himself and he hasn't he could have played a victim and he hasn't he could have chosen not to be vulnerable and mask himself up and live a lie and all these sorts of things. And he hasn't. And it takes incredible courage, in my opinion, to be self-determining. I know he spoke about childhood uh, shaping us a lot, but I feel like there's a lot of self-determination going on here. So a lot of active choices he's made that's led, led him to be the man he is and is still becoming still trying to do so much more, you know? I don't know what your thoughts are at the moment. I mean,
0: I totally agree. For um, for some of us, everyday life is a struggle against the things that happen in our heads. Um, but it's amazing to kind of hear Tony, Tony's story and how he's his own hero and how he's a hero to all of us as well. And just, because what, what, what you do find in here, especially in, the, in our community, especially with black men. Um, and again, it's, it's just like, take for example, in the news quite recently, you've been hearing, oh, you know, even more now that black people are going missing when really and truly this has been happening for a long, long time. The same is also with me, with black men and suicide. Um, and the trouble is, so the root stem, um, according according to some research I found previously, was the fact that if you have a look at um, a man's kind of phases or life stages, shall we say, from adolescent year, you know, whether we're family or whatever the situation is after that, you go into being with friends you know how to speak how to convey things or you you're just in in an environment where you're with a lot of people now once you get i I think it said past the age of about 40 you have less friends uh, as a man and you speak to less people so essentially because of that because you don't have anyone to speak to anyone to share your thoughts and emotions with anyone to express help and support you like that's that's the breaking point where even as black men and again you don't hear about in the news because as black people you know it's put a lid on it kind of thing get on with it you know the same way it was when with everything from the Windrush where you know whatever pain you're going through just get on with it so and it's all about (laughs) breaking that stigma to to create a new story now moving moving on that irrespective of what's happened that even as men no matter what stage we are no matter how old we are it's all about creating impact and change to make sure everything from committing suicide to emotions and feelings like you know is a thing of the past but that all starts with us talking to each other so and again just the, hearing or just having insight on Tony's story and how you know as Shai you said he's not playing the victim or Tony's his own you know
2: superhero and our superhero yeah um there's a lot for you to take out from what's been said and Tony said during lockdown a lot of us might be questioning our significance and One of the lines we said when we started all this with Men Talk Ubuntu is it is important that you are here, whoever you are, and you're listening. So it's first of all, your existence is significant. um, And it's not an issue at the very least to us. So shameless plug, this is a community you can plug into and actually just speak to and know that there's always someone there who... You could speak to or could point you in the direction of the resources you need, or that you can forward someone who you feel maybe is sort of isolating themselves more that sort of thing. Because we all experience loneliness. And I think a lot of us struggle with the, being vulnerable and you know, vulnerability overall. So just know that keep persevering is key word from this has said, and You might need to listen to this a couple of times. I know I will. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, we could definitely go for for more, but what we'll transition into firstly, Tony letting us know about the impact you're hoping that the book that you're designing, how that's going to help the next generation and other people. And then, yeah, we will go into some of your responses for our quick fire questions as it were. So, yeah, sure. just about the book first, please.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, the f- first book I've written is called A Sense of Place. And, and it, it was basically uh, searching for my sense of place and belonging in, in, in London. And I think we all are searching for a s- sense of place and sense of belonging. And um, overall, I was just wanting people to find the the objective of the book was to for people to find particularly us guys is to find um, our true sense of place and belonging and that, you know, and, um, the second book I'm working on now, well, it's the third book really cause I write a little children's book, but the third book I'm work working on is, um, it's basically all what we've been talking about today is your sense of being, your sense of self-worth and who you are and, and you know, how we um, relate to each other, relate to ourselves and how we can help each other as human beings and, and what affects us also, our sense of being, in our sense of self, and who we are, you know, there's so many different things that affect us, you know? and you know, like I mentioned earlier, one of the chapters that I'm working on at the moment is our existence an issue to you, you know, and your your existence as a person is it, is is your existence. An issue to your parents because of you know they might have turned around and said to you oh I wish you weren't born and oh you were just a five minute wonder is your is your um, existence an issue to your friends your um, you know is your existence an, an an issue and there's so many different aspects in the book that I'm trying to cover as a as a person uh, terms, and I just want it to reach out and it's, you know, I want it to be a, where it's tackling our whole self and all our issues and how we can deal with them, you know, and how we can uh, face them, you know. And, it's, it's it's very deep but it's um i'm trying to convey it in a layman's terms so that anyone can pick it up and oh i want i want the person who reads the book to be enriched by it and and to be and to feel that yes life is worth living and not give up basically you know' because you know, we've we've got so much to contend with now, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, you know, and spiritually, sexually, you know, we've got all these things to contend with. And, uh, you know, I think we just need to know that we're worth it and give ourselves a a big hug, really, in terms, of, as well as hugging each other, but, you know, just uh, you know. <laughs> I know it sounds all sort of new agey, but it's not that. It's, it's, you know, it's just,
2: it's basically, you know, uh, all the
1: issues that we're dealing with,
2: you know. yeah. Now, nah, well said, well said, and you mentioned a fantastic term earlier, which was bedrock, and that was one of the things that you found with the Mayhew residence, you know, solid ground that you could start really exploring life from. And so, yeah, I mean, even a hug can make you feel like you're on solid ground. I mean, it can make you feel like you're floating <laughs> and everything, but it's that feeling of I'm safe, I'm accepted and it's okay. It's okay to try and figure things out. So, no, well said, all well said. Um, so I hope you're ready, Tony. (laughs) So we'll run into go, go.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So, um, surprise questions, brace yourself. I hope you got your seatbelt on, you know, so... (laughs) so, um, so the question I have for you is, uh, what's the best thing about being black?
1: Um, it might sound really strange, but that we, our DNA, um, scientists have proven that the black person, particularly as they classify as Negro, we're 100% DNA. Uh, our DNA is 100% human. We're not. We, the black man, we are the true original human being. And uh, that if you study anthropology, all other humans derive from the black man. Yeah. And so, um, and also anthropology also proves that Jesus was a black man because the Nazarenes, that, that sect, the Nazarenes, were black. So, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I, I, I just, love being black because of our food, our culture, our our physique, uh, just our looks, uh, the way we embrace life. Yeah, so I'm proud to be black. Yeah.
0: Amazing, amazing. (laughs) Everything you said just resonated. I was like, yes, 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 yes. Oh yes, is amazing, amazing. And um, looking at your, your, your goatee, you know, nice goatee you've got there. And, you know, right, a, you. just just sat here thinking <laughs> that, you know, who taught you how to shave?
1: Um, it was um, Mr. Mayu. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Mayu taught me to shave. But he used to dry shave. So he didn't use any water or anything like that. He just used to use a blade. And... Yeah.
2: That's a tough That's man.
1: A tough... Yeah, he was, but I, I, I... I, I use shaving cream and, you know, or face wash and just, and use a blade, you know, well, a shaving stick, yeah.
2: So, yeah. You're a braver man than me. I'm not messing with the blade, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Those bumps ain't coming near me, uh huh. <laughs> I might just need to learn, who knows. <laughs> All right, well, Tony, I mean, If you're a student of anthropology and all these other things, you're definitely a student of life. Let me ask you in that case, what book or resource do you hope people still use a hundred years from now?
1: Uh, The Bible, you know? Uh, Yeah, the Bible. But as long as they read it in its historical and cultural context, because um, I think history has proven that you, you, need, to, you need to know your history and you, because a lot of things can be taken out of context. And because things are taken out of context, um, it can lead to a lot of misinterpretation and So yeah, um, yeah, um, the Bible, but as well as the books that I've written, I hope they. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but yeah,
2: you're placing them in very high company, not. Yeah, but
1: there's there's a list of there's a a whole list of books really, you know, like um, in some great authors down you know, like James Baldwin, uh, Ma- Maya Angelou, uh, you know, um, Alice Walker, uh, you know, Martin, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, even um, Barack Obama, you know, hes I, I don't know if you've read, read any of his books. I mean, especially the new one, Our uh, Promised, land. And
2: he puts a lot of things into, you know, perspective. Yeah, so that's beautiful. Like say, I mean, obviously, you went with the Bible initially. And I think that ties to a, a key part of your life. And, you know, so that's very understandable. And you've clearly shown you're still engaged with a lot of others. Finally, for me, what do you wish more men talked about
1: um their emotional and mental feelings, particularly black men, yeah, and how they're feeling deep down and and even their their and their sexual feelings as well, you know, regardless of where they're coming from yeah so but particularly mental and emotionally, just to really. I think we just need to really connect and talk more about those things
0: yeah. amazing amazing um and i think there's what I, I think we definitely need to you know uh do this again um the key takeaways for me um and i hope you know, it's the same, same key takeaways for our listeners as well is to, so first of all, it's the thing of everybody has trauma. Everybody has experienced things that um, has an effect even without you unconsciously knowing. But the key thing is, is, you know, stepping into that vulnerability of feelings and emotion is what you've conveyed to us is you know so extremely important to us, and hearing what you said today is everything from you know feeling those emotions, is one naming it, um, and then so 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 yeah fe- feeling it, and then on top of that you know don't name it to shame it but um, feel it to heal it if that makes sense
1: yeah.
0: um, because it makes you more vulnerable and again it's destigmatizing vulnerability even as men is that vulnerability doesn't make you weak if anything it gives you strength and on, in terms of my own personal growth and as you know Shai, Shai said ever since last year my vulnerability and my growth has, strengthen me in ways that i never thought it would and you know if whoever's listening you don't feel that you are ready to take that step to speak to a therapist it's important to speak to people you know that will create that safe and open space environment for you to one be okay to know that it's okay not to be okay but on top of that to share and speak about all these things and not be judged or feel a certain kind of way to close up essentially Um, and more importantly as black men we're not alone and you know it's imperative for all of us to just continue to show that not just to each other but also to connect and bring and pull all men so we can build, rebuild our, our, our foundation within the community and, um, contribute more to the world as well and just grow and change. Because again, mental, mental health is, it, it, mental health is attached to such things as race, feelings, um, relationships, everything. And it all starts by all of us, you know, talking about it.
2: Yeah. Tony, oh, it's been delightful having this conversation with you. It is good and important that you are here. And they do say a picture can paint a thousand words, but I think a conversation can be the difference between life and death. And I'm so glad you're encouraging people to have more of these conversations and trying to leave your mark in a positive way and use your experiences in a positive way i can only imagine how amazing you are as a father (laughs) despite the (laughs) challenges and because you're open about the challenges it's going to be fantastic to meet you in person at some point well when we're allowed yeah i hope you've enjoyed this conversation because for me it's been outstanding and also, I had a quick look. It's the BAATN is the Black African and Asian Therapy Network, which is, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's an amazing resource to share such a giving guest that we've had today. You've shared so much information and so much of your story that hopefully other people will get courage and inspiration from. I just commend you for that and As we said before, you know, we're just really proud of you, man.
1: Thank you. And it's been a real pleasure, an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, discovering this mental Ubuntu has been like discovering gold. And I hope other people will find that too, as well. Yeah. So thank you so much. And it's it's great to put uh, a, a name to the face faces. And yeah. <laughs> Please, thanks, Ray. And, uh, thanks, Shy. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. And I, I, I want to get one of those um, t shirts. Uh, is it the mental? t shirt? Yeah.
2: So coming soon. We're working on that right now. <laughs> Watch this face. Yeah. But yeah. No, thank you. Thanks for being a great member of the community because you definitely are now Whether you like it or not. (laughs) Uh, All right. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating.
0: Don't forget to follow, like, share, and connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Subscribe to our latest episode and listen to any you missed. And tune in next episode.
2: Take care.